Hello everybody and welcome back to the Enterprise Dish. It is that time of the month where we have people from, or a person I should say, from the Seattle area. It's time to talk Windows because Windows is probably, I would say arguably, one of the most exciting things happening in the world of Microsoft right now. We're getting ready for Windows 11. It is sort of unveiled Windows 365. There's just a, there's a lot going on. How's it going, Aaron? It's going well. It's sort of amazing to me, you know, the the opening remark about Windows being the most exciting thing coming from Microsoft, because mm -hmm. it seems like it's been a long time since anyone yes. made that argument. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Like, we always think there's exciting things going on with Windows, but this one, um, you know, it, it is. It's a different time. And I think the interesting thing about it is that mm -hmm. it seemed like at the beginning of the whole pandemic, this might be relatively short lived, like, oh, yeah. work from home is this like short term thing we have to do. It seems like maybe <laughs> this is how, the, knocking on wood over here. The new normal, like this is just how it's going to be. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I yeah. Don't know. Interesting. Yeah. I always sort of and this isn't like an official rating mechanism, but I always sort of judge the enthusiasm around Windows because there's certainly a bubble, right? There's people like us. There's like the Mary Joes, the balls of the world who are always writing about Windows. But <clears throat> when it sort of cracks outside that egg or that bubble and there's other journalists or websites that typically don't write, a write about Windows or things like that covering it, that's when you know that they're starting to make some, some further inroads or impressions on uh, different communities, if you will. For, so. for sure. And, 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 and there's sort of a plurality of topics yes. right now, too, which is sort of also this kind of unique point in time. So where, where shall we begin? We shall begin with Microsoft. It, this is a little unusual for Microsoft, I guess, or maybe not. But they officially unveiled Windows 365 and then they, they wouldn't tell us the pricing. And then they, they hit the go button and all of a sudden we can finally figure out the pricing. So it... The big answer is it depends, uh, sort of like what you want, what you need. So it ranges anywhere from $20 a month for a very low end device. I think it's one, hold on, I got the actual things here. So we have, which gets you one virtual CPU, two gigs of RAM and 64 gigs of storage and jumps all the way up over $160 a month for 32 gigs of RAM with eight virtual CPU cores and 512 gigs of storage. And that is per month. Month. Correct. And so we're back, we're back to sort of this argument mm -hmm. of, you know, why and who really needs it. And, and, and at what point do you justify paying that kind of monthly fee when you're going to probably need a PC in order to access that environment anyway? Mm -hmm. and, and, and the reality is, again, like we said last episode, for sure there are, there mm -hmm. definitely are. And, and, and it's usually when, especially for large global contractors think of your you know indian and chinese offshore companies think of your your mm -hmm. your major north american offshore mm -hmm. outsourcers and they're doing you know high sensitivity security work on application development almost i mean saying without exception is going too far there it is well known that many of the you know federal government contracts and very large institutions require their contractors to use a hosted desktop. Mm -hmm. And so that's an example of that. And then usually they would be paying for that. Um, and if it's for security reasons, right? FinServe, FinTech, like we talked about, same thing. And so they would be paying for that in order for their contractors to have a secure environment to access. My understanding from both the 
contractor side as well as the hiring organization side is they hate it. Everybody hates it. It's a pain. It's an administrative pain. User experience is lousy, but it has kind of become this necessary evil because it is going back to this notion of zero trust, probably the best option yeah. for better or worse. So then then what is where is the right place to put the dial on this slider between the seemingly more affordable $20 a month that we know now is competitive with other DAS mm-hmm. services right on up to this sort of you're buying a new PC twice a year price. Um, yep. You know, to get anything done, you're probably going to be somewhere at least in the middle of that range. The high end, I don't know how much more you really get. Like, I, I guess at a, at a local performance level, it would probably seem better given all the latency. I, I don't know. I don't know. How, where, where, where are you at on this argument, Brad? So a lot of opinions, I guess. And, and so, <laughs> a lot of thoughts. Because much like you, I... I, like I completely understand. First off, Microsoft said, and I'm quoting here some vaguely. They said this is the first PC in the cloud, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think that's accurate. You know, I, you can run with that, but I think Cisco and and a few dozen other companies would probably make pretty strong arguments. That's not true. Microsoft, you know, big headedness aside, the, the there's sort of like this overlapping idea here that we're up against this chip shortage right now. This is sort of bleeds into a, a later question. Yeah. of where there are, I know for a fact people who are trying to order surface hardware in this case from Microsoft and they're being told uh-uh. like like you can order it it's, it's gonna show up but we can't tell you when where why or how or um, you know you gotta roll with what you got and in that instance this type of a solution might make sense if you're rolling like a, an older surface pro 3 still in your environment a pro 4 and you need something just to patch you along until you can truly get new hardware this might make a lot of sense and to your point for contractors overseas who need, and you want the absolute be all end all control again it might this might make sense for the vast majority of users, I don't know if it does because I believe Microsoft says that you are still required to have a Windows 10 Pro license on the hardware that is accessing this service, which will quietly raise the floor on the price that you are going to need to pay to access Microsoft 365. That's a little data point that I didn't know, Brad, and that's non-trivial. So the other thing is, if your argument is true that you're going to make this investment because you can't get hardware faster, it's sort of le- a lesser of two evils argument because the user experience is rarely very good, mm-hmm. right? I mean, even, even you know, I've got the great luxury of having very amazingly affordable gigabit fiber ethernet to my house. And it's still not great when you do some of yeah. these remote things and and so there's there's always a weak link somewhere even mm-hmm. if you got amazing blazingly fast speeds um yeah i i i i feel like that is a it is a the the, the chip shortage is a plausible argument but it will be a short-term problem and 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 daz is sort of a less than awesome workaround especially if you have mm-hmm. to have the 10 pro license as a as a minimum anyway so yeah i'm still back to not awesome still at most a minority of 
of yep. the of the PC endpoints in the world. And certainly Microsoft's not the first one to offer this, right? right. I mean, they're kind of last to the dance yep. here, although they have the scale and ability to provide a competitive price and, and feature function that is almost certainly going to eclipse the rest of the competition. So that that that's in their favor, mm-hmm. kind of mid and long term. Is there they'll they'll probably win the race. Um, but we know from you know our customers and and just friends in the industry that that workspaces is doing just fine. Yep. Um, and they have pretty pretty good wide adoption and and things are going fine for them that way. Um, so so it's not going to be a one horse race. And um, you know, and we also know that Amazon has such insane scale that they could just reduce prices arbitrarily mm-hmm. and, and and stay in the race and even kind of get ahead in the race. Um, you know, because how good does it need to be? Well, it needs to be good enough mostly for devs to have a high functioning IDE, which is not that huge of a requirement, right? Mm-hmm. We're not doing CAD, we're not doing, you know, high-end graphics work, we're not producing videos over DAS, right? I mean, that's yep. the the worst use case for this yes. this technology. So yeah, interesting to see where it goes. Interesting to see what that low-end skew really does in terms of performance. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're talking about basic office functions at, at best. Um, you know, maybe, I, I don't know why you would get a remote desktop to do, you know, office things, except, you know, for the security of access mm-hmm. and things like that in some of these environments. So, hmm. I still I'll think, big, like, hmm. my gut still tells me that this was part of a, develop, a Department of Defense contract, that this is the environment that was spun up. Um, for to meet some of those requirements, and then now they're commercializing something that they built for that. Well, I think I think you have a strong argument there because how else would they have the compute capacity to offer this all of a sudden at this right. kind of price point? Yep. Right. There's given that there's a chip shortage that is not new. How is it that they have such tremendous data data center capacity to do this? And the thing is, the cloud is not just sort of one way or or a single architecture deployed for all purposes, all of these services often have the backend hardware tailored to optimize for that at at every level, to optimize performance for customers, but also to optimize power consumption, um, throughput, security. So all of this is sort of, there's a lot more screw turning on the backend um, then, then maybe we give thought to every day. And so to that end, yes, exactly to your point, this is something that has been kind of brewing and to kind of flip the switch really quick and present it as this packaged product does seem to beg the question that this, you know, may have started life as something else and and, and be, became this mm-hmm. um, sort of through uh, a couple uh, right turns, right? Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. Anybody who's hung around Microsoft long long enough knows how they typically launch, especially enterprise-grade products. There's always a preview that lasts months, if not years sometimes, depending on the scale of the product. And the fact that this just came, they announced it, said here's a, a quick preview, it's like two months, and then we're, you know, we're full-scale enterprise-ready is non-traditional in the land of, of Redmond for sure. Yeah, and the Azure virtual desktop has been out there for a while mm-hmm. in different forms, right? It started out as a server SKU, like a server-based desktop that you could kind of use as Windows, and then it became kind of Windows client, yep. but was not at all priced competitively in a way that it would be adopted broadly. Um, 
it really, it was sort of started as a thing for partners, if I recall the the early yeah, history of this right. as well. It's like like many of these things. Um, and so, you know, now now it's really this kind of mainstream thing. So what were the twists and turns that got it here? What were the learnings? What was adoption like prior to this, right? Did they have some really large enterprise customers that they, you know, built this into the enterprise agreement in such a way that it was affordable or that they use that as a validation mechanism, almost mm -hmm. certainly at a product management level. Um, but nevertheless, here we are. It'll be interesting to see where it goes and, and what the future of this is like. And I would still make go on the record with this bet that it is going to remain in this 10 to 20 percent kind yeah. of adoption level. So, you know, we're looking at in in the enterprise anyway that would land on the order of maybe you know t in the tens of millions of total desktops globally on a mm -hmm. landscape that's north of a half a billion desktops so yes lots and and certainly you put dollars to that and it's you know hundreds of millions knocking in the door of a billion dollars which is the kind of market you know that mm -hmm. microsoft would, would move into um, so I could I could see that, but it's not it's not going to be meaningful in terms of taking over total market share of of PC desktops. I I, I really have a hard time kind of believing yeah. that would be the case. I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, Microsoft looks well. It's funny they talked about this in their last earnings many years ago. It used to be if it wasn't a billion dollar business line, Microsoft didn't care about it. Like I was just kind of the rule. This last earnings call, they kind of bumped that up to talking about ten billion dollar lines of business. Interesting. Um, and so not that when I mean, Windows does fall into that category, but you look for at sure. the potential for this and they could they could get this pretty easily up into a billion, but it's not going to have a dent in the overall Windows desktop market. It's I, I tend to agree with uh, your sort of viewpoint of this. Yeah. And, 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 and the reason to stay in this market might be more defensive than anything yeah. from market share perspective. Like we need we need to keep our users using Windows and we want them to keep consuming Windows through Microsoft services and not through our competitor service and certainly not our enemies services. Mm -hmm. and, and so in that regard, yes, for them to you know, prop this up at a 500 million to a billion dollar a year kind of run rate. And maybe people decide that it's worth the investment and they go in more to the mid, mid, mid end mm -hmm. and higher end skews. And it turns into, you know, some billions. Um, and, and then it starts becoming accretive to this total window story. And, you know, who knows, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see kind of the next 18 months would be, I think the right time to, to kind of start having a retrospective on how it went. Yeah. We'll find out. We'll find out. It's, uh, I don't know, it's out there. People can go sign up. Oh, well, you can sort of sign up. Microsoft said they ran out of capacity, which was uh, an interesting sound bite from them. It's like, we have unlimited cloud. And then it's like, no, not, 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 not unlimited. But anyways. Right, yes, cloud very limited. That's the other <laughs> thing to realize. All of these things still rely on actual computers. They're not. They're not some wizard behind the curtain that just grants you more yep. cpus in in a world with it with a, a chip shortage so yes well more of that is our future as well by yeah. the way right i mean more more cloud downtime more cloud capacity shortage all of that so dovetailing nicely into that i'm curious if you have heard i mean you have a different perspective and optics into the sort of enterprise hardware market have any of your clients are on that side of the fence have you seen anything you know on the downside of this chip shortage, I've certainly heard about it from people trying to order surface hardware. Uh, it's pretty well known in the industry. I'm just curious what you've heard from your side of the coin. Definitely presenting problems to customers. 
and the larger kind of more mature organizations are just getting strategic about it, right? Mm -hmm. They're just accepting and acknowledging and, and, and kind of playing that into the forecast and their procurement processes. Mm. And so it is not, it, it, they're, they're not allowing it to be a crisis because mm. there are computers for sale. And the question is just on what time frame is the requirements that are, are, on what time frame will our requirements be able to be met by our partners, whether that's a reseller or a direct relationship with an OEM or whatever it might be. And they're, they're kind of prepping for that cadence, right? Do we, we're used to buying computers 500 at a time. Mm -hmm. Now we only buy them hundred at a time or 50 at a time um, based on availability capacity, as well as kind of the supply demand and dynamics of price and the inflationary risk as well, which is also playing into this. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. a lower spec is more expensive. Is it worth it to just sort of bide our time a little bit or revisit our spec requirements to be able to keep this in the realm of affordability? Or is it worth buying up right now, right? Are yeah. certain specs kind of more preferable to buy, you know, up on processor and memory um, in the short term, because it's all costing more anyway, mm -hmm. and, and kind of settle in for sort of a longer arc, maybe try to get five years out of hardware instead of three years out of hardware the way you used to. So that's that's what we're seeing. We're also getting um, information from our OEM partners that they themselves are having a hard time getting devices for their own internal needs, whether it be demos or testing or benchmarking and things like that. So it, everyone's feeling it to a certain extent. We are getting indications that the, there will be an end, right, mm -hmm. to this shortage. This isn't a permanent thing. Um, but, but what happens over whatever it's going to be the next six or nine months um, you know, we're going to be in the shortage probably for three to six months, and then there'll be a tail to it of another three to six months. So what does that mean for these, you know, wizened sure. IT veterans who are being smart and strategic about this and playing this into it? And then it also has questions, raises questions about Windows 11 and, and, and how that whole migration process mm -hmm. will play out and timing for that and buying hardware that satisfies that spec now so that you're you're kind of migration ready and not buying kind of down spec um, to satisfy today's requirement at a price you can afford and then having to buy again for your Windows 11 migration. That's another extremely important consideration for yep. these customers, right? Um, and, and for our listeners, right? That's another very, you know, if, if you're a young IT person yep. and you're in charge of desktops and you're listening to this because, oh, I get concerned about Windows and PCs, this is a time to say, okay, we have to buy more PCs. Great. Spend up or decisively spend way down knowing you're going to replace again yeah. in a year or whatever it might be, 18 months. But this all needs to be factored into this whole game that we play around um, Windows PCs in, in the enterprise, right? Yeah, and, and that I'd like to think you're doing this intentionally, Aaron, but this part lines up perfectly that Microsoft still has not officially confirmed what the basement floor is going to be for Windows 11. We're still up in the air about if it's the seventh gen processors are going to be able to do it. If you, The TPM 2.0, I suspect, will stick because that's even older than seventh gen, but the seventh gen processor, we still don't quite know the whole story yet. Um, and so we're just got to twiddle your thumbs for a little bit, I guess. 
Well, in this sort of on again, off again with the the tool, right? They made this like, am I compatible tool? Yep. And then they took it offline, <laughs> and, and and for for reasons. And and reasons. so now, how do we determine exactly what this is? Yeah. Um. The, you know, the positive side of this is it appears that the the test and dev builds uh, are are coming out on a pretty strong cadence, mm -hmm. and the deltas between each of those is is very similar to what we've seen in in generations gone by, where it's like, okay, this feature disappeared, and now this feature's back, and he, here's this, and it looks like the old way, at least for now. So there's there's some pretty interesting fluidity it appears between these builds. I haven't done a lot of touching on it myself. Um, but based on what's being reflected by people who are touching it in the media and internally in our organization, um, it's 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 interesting and seems normal, I guess, is what I would say. So I'm not it's I'm not overly concerned about this whole open question on the spec. I think that will get settled in enough time. And I don't know of many organizations that are just dying to migrate to Windows 11. Right. Right. I mean, Windows 10 is fine. It's working mm -hmm. well. And and, you know, people are grousing about alt tab not working with this latest patch. You know, I, I we didn't have that problem, per se. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist and that it isn't a nuisance because it is one of these like, you know, 100 mile an hour pro productive Windows user things that we all use. So it could be disruptive. But if that's the biggest problem we have, it's it's a good day. You know yep. what I mean? Like it, if they tamp down the zero days and we got an alt tab hang up that we gets resolved with a hot fix in a couple of weeks or something, great, right? I mean, I think we got to keep all of this in perspective with the world that we're living in and the security yeah. problems yes. and the frequency of hacks and ransomware and yada, 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 right? All the things, all the topics we keep talking about. So I think overall landscape is healthy, right, from a Windows perspective, and that we're we're living in a a world that seems overall um, normal to bordering on what I would consider to be pretty good as far as like this last mm -hmm. couple months of announcements and what we know about updates and patches and, you know, on and on. I think that it's in a above average um, kind of posture at the moment. And speaking of sort of running Windows for the long term here, I, I had to sit through, Microsoft had some like Q&A stuff and it was like two and a half hours long and I'm sitting there pounding on the keyboard like LTSC, LTSC, LTSC. And <laughs> they finally acknowledged um, that LTSC will come to Windows 11. The version of Windows 10 that I believe is coming out this fall will be the next iteration of LTSC. So LTSC Windows 11 will exist, but we won't get a build for a couple years more than likely. So, so, so this is this AMA you sat through. You're telling mm -hmm. me you sat through the whole thing. I, I, I did. <laughs> Congratulations, first yes. of all, Thank for you. making it. And and so the and and so for listeners, this was not this, this wasn't a Reddit thing. Right? No, it was on their own. Reddit thing. sort of designed yeah. and, and invented the AMA. Yeah. Um, but this was just like a video thing, yep. right? And so off they went, and it was fine. And, and and this is where this revelation about LTSC for Windows 11 mm. came. Is that right? Yep. Awesome. Great news for so many people we know and, mm. and friends of the company and just, you know, independent software vendors globally. This is a very positive development. Um, the fact that it's not going to be available for a couple of years shouldn't be a problem, right? right? Otherwise, 
why would it be long term if 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 you were going to have it available on the day of and update it again soon? I think that that that's not not going to be a problem for most of these organizations because the people who are LTSC as a necessity are the people who are bound to other devices who are using Windows often to support other dependent hardware environments. Yeah. And that's why it can be so disruptive. And that's why you want so little change. There are other scenarios where you want to do LTSC, their enterprise, just desktop environments where they prefer this for all their reasons as well. Um, you know, be it LOB apps or whatever they've got going on, legacy environments they have to support, totally understand it. Same logic, I think, still applies there where you don't want it to change for a while if, if you can avoid it. Um, but to the migration discussion of moments ago, if you are planning your migration, it'd be good to know a date. It'd be good to know yeah, you can get there right before before too long. And I wonder, too, if they were setting conservative expectations because these are the most conservative IT organizations who are going to be pounding their fists for this news. And they're the most vocal who are going to mm -hmm. cause the most problems if Microsoft doesn't deliver on this time frame, right? Here yeah. they go again, right? Making promises they can't stand behind. Setting a nice conservative expectation, coming out with it, whatever, a year post RTM or, 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 or GA of, of Windows 11, will surprise and delight everybody, right? And then yep. and then it's a halo over Microsoft's head and it's all these happy, you know, OEMs and ISVs and IHVs and on and on and on. So I think another generally positive development overall, but for your, um, you know, tired mousing digits and the tedium of a two and a half hour FAQ <laughs> on video. It's important. It was important to me. I mean, it was one of those things. It's like they got to, they have to acknowledge that this channel, or they got to to call them channels, right? Yeah, LTSC used to be yes. branch, branch channels, whatever they're calling the tree this week. Like they, they had to acknowledge it at some point, and finally, there's like, yeah, it's going to happen. And then it was like, all right, thank you. That's all we needed. Catch you later. You could have done this two hours ago, and I would have been great. But um, eh, now we got the answer we need. You, you you sat through it for us all, and now we're enlightened as a result. And your piece is really good, too. I think uh, listeners would benefit from reading the, the Petri.com piece on, on the LTSC revelation from that. So all the merrier. Always appreciate the plug. And always appreciate you coming to hang out, Aaron. This has been another, honestly, pretty good episode. I, you know, I like to pat myself on the back, but I feel like this one was a, a pretty good one. And to everybody else, there'll be good, important links down in the description below, including a webinar coming up with Smart Deploy. You should check that out, and we'll catch all of you right back here next time.